0: Welcome to the Machinery Safety Matters podcast with your host Barry Shepherd. This show is about how to read a Declaration of Incorporation for Machinery. When you are looking to purchase a machine and you are doing your due diligence, one of the most important documents you will look over is the Declaration of Incorporation. In this podcast I am going to cover the eight essential characteristics that need to feature on the declaration before accepting or placing an order for an incomplete machine. With the right kind of knowledge of what to look for, you will be able to gain or provide confidence in the products you are either buying or selling. I'm going to cover how to read the DOI and what to look for, as it holds an awful lot of information. It's not something that should be shoved in the drawer without reading it, as it's a great way to get an overview of how far the manufacturer has taken the machine bill to meet compliance. Once you know what to look for, it's really easy to spot something that might give you problems further down the line. And Once you know what to provide and include, it will save you having to prove compliance for your machines you are either manufacturing or selling. As a manufacturer, you should take this document very seriously as it is legally binding. If you haven't followed the process of compliance, then you could end up signing for something that is not what you thought or expected it to be, and it could put you or your customer at risk of injury and end up having to deal with authorities and a fine, or even worse, a spell in prison. Whether you are the manufacturer or a purchaser of the machine, the declaration is extremely important and needs to be created and read very seriously. A declaration of incorporation, is a document that makes clear what work the original equipment manufacturer has done to bring it up to compliance. The very nature of the document suggests that the machine is not complete and further work needs to be done before it could be put into service. Sometimes it is not always possible or even practical to produce a complete machine. This may be because the original manufacturer is solely a mechanical or electrical manufacturer or producer. They may not have the skills or expertise to finish off the machine. It may be that at the customer's request to provide just a mechanical machine and the manufacturer putting it to service will create and integrate their own electrical control panel further down the line as part of their own solution. The manufacturer will carry out the necessary work and produce the documentation to support what they have done and follow the process necessary to fulfill the requirements. Now that you've covered a bit about the background of the Declaration of Incorporation, let's dive right in. There are eight things that you need to look for and this will tie nicely to the Nameplate podcast if you haven't listened to that one yet, or just listen to have another refresher. The first thing that needs to be on there is the business name of the manufacturer and where they are based including their full address or the authorised representative. If the business is based outside the EU this is really really important. What you are checking for here is whether the business is based outside the EU or UK or relevant region that it has been made. You need to know who to contact and where they are based in case you need any further information as a user. You can check the address online and some programmes will allow a street view so you can see the premises and check that the place actually exists. Also check companies house to see if they are still in business and look for anything that might suggest that they are in liquidation, especially if the price of the machinery is lower than it would be expected. It could save you a lot of trouble later on. But as a manufacturer, you may want your customers to know where you are based so that you can make some more sales. It is also a legal requirement, so more importantly, It has to be there even just for that reason alone. Number two, the name and address of the person who put the technical file together. This can be the person or role within the business or even the name of the business itself. This person does not have to be the one who designed the machine. They can have a role that is similar to a document controller or admin based type of role. But at the same time, this role can be the same person who signs the DOI. This can be the same person as the authorized representative if the manufacturer is outside of the EU. Number three, a description or identification of the machinery so that it corresponds with the instruction or maintenance manuals. The declaration must be able to be positively tied to the machine without there being any ambiguity. A serial number will further confirm that you have a match between the DOI and the machine And it's much easier if it's a one-off type product. If the machine is a series type manufacturer where you have multiple copies of the same product then the DOI must specify a range of serial numbers that relates to a product or a batch or a code but there can't be an open-ended declaration of incorporation that covers an unlimited or uncontrolled number of the same type of products and neither can it be missing altogether. A good reason why this is important is that this will keep control of counterfeit products entering the market, as the manufacturer may always be able to track where each one was sold. If they are alerted to a duplicate number, then, we'll, then they will know that there are forgeries in circulation and that they may be able to take appropriate action against a distributor or user of the machinery. Both the machine and the DOI must match, and it is a joint responsibility between the manufacturer and the receiver of that machine to ensure that this document matches. The relevant authorities will be checking this also, and if it does not match, then you will have fallen foul of Regulation 10 of PURE and Article 5 of the Machinery Directive. This is a very important point. The fourth thing that's on there, there needs to be a list of the EHSRs, otherwise known as the Essential Health and Safety Requirements that have been applied to the machine. This tells you what the manufacturer has done so that you know where the gaps are when it comes to bringing it up to full compliance. This is a very, very important part of the document and should be read carefully in comparison to the full requirements. It is then up to you to decide which of the remaining EHSRs need to be considered and brought into compliance. You can get an awful lot of information from this seemingly harmless list. You will see a list or a line of numbers in a decimal format, usually 1.1.2, 1.2.1, 1.6.1, etc. These relate directly to the essential health and safety requirements, and cross referencing them will tell you what, what has been declared. It's from this list that you'll be able to decide what extra work needs to be done to put the machine into service. Number five, it needs to be understood by the manufacturer this document is in agreement that they will submit any reason requests for information relating to the technical documentation that may affect its safety. Only the local authorities can request this information, which in the case of the UK will be the health and safety executive. If for any reason they do obtain a copy of the technical construction file, then it has to be treated as a confidential information as it will contain a lot of intellectual property rights. Number six, there must also be a statement that the machine cannot be put into service until all the provisions of the directive have been fulfilled. This means that the whole process of C-marking must have been completed and not just one part of the process. For this, there are three sub-steps that must be completed. The first thing is to ensure that all of the EHSRs have been completed. This is why part four of this process of checking which of the EHSRs is important. Once you know what has been done, you can then look to complete the relevant missing requirements. The second thing to carry out is a risk assessment on the integration and interface of the machine. This will have to cover both the electrical and the mechanical interfaces. So think about emergency stops, think about how they're going to be zoned and what else the integrated machine will interact with, whether it's going to be a new machine or an assembly line, also the safety related control signals, think about light curtains, pressure mats, and anything else that is necessary to ensuring the safe functioning of the combined machines. These all have to be risk assessed and they all have to be considered. Now the last thing, the third thing to consider is that once it is understood what the outcome of the above risk assessment is, then these measures must have been applied to the combined machines. They have to be tested, they have to be verified and re-risk assessed to ensure that there has been no additional other risks. It's these three steps that the OEM is declaring that have to be completed before you put it into service. If you are an original equipment manufacturer, then you must make this clear. If you are the entity put into service, then it is vitally important that you understand and apply this guidance. Number seven, the declaration must also have a date and place that it was drawn up. This is a customer requirement. And because this process is dependent on location, it becomes ever more important. Things to look and check for that the date is not in the future. This is not allowed and must not be post-dated on the declaration. The date must be prior to placing on the market, even if it's for your own use. If the date is in the future, then you must reject it and ask for a new one. Remember, the manufacturer is obligated to keep the TCFs for 10 years after the last produced machine. If the location is outside of the zone it is intended for, then it becomes invalid, for example, outside of the EU for CE. Number eight, the last thing to check is even if all of the above is present and correct, but without a signature of the person who has the power and authority, then it doesn't really amount to much more than a piece of paper at worst or a PDF at best. It is also worth noting that this must be signed by a person at a level of the managing director or a person who has been delegated with this responsibility. If the managing director won't sign the DOI, then it doesn't send out a very strong message about the amount of confidence they have in their products from the top. Here's a brief summary from earlier. The features that must be on a DOI or declaration of incorporation are the business name and full address of the manufacturer. Number two, the name and address of the person who put the technical file together. Number three, a description of the machine so you know what the document is there to support. Number four, a list of the EHsRs that have been fulfilled so that you know what is left to do. Number five, an agreement to surrender the required information to the relevant authorities. Remember, in the UK, it was HSE. Number six, a statement that says you can't use it until further work has been completed. Remember the three steps within the DOI that must be completed. You must fulfil the EHSRs. Secondly, you must carry out a risk assessment. And thirdly, you must implement any safeguards that are a result of that risk assessment. Number seven, a date of when the DOI was drawn up and make sure that it's not in the future. And number eight, last, but most possibly the most important point, a signature from someone in a senior position to give it its value. Thanks for listening to me. And if you know of anyone who would benefit from what I have just discussed, then please do share it. Also, if you have anything you would like to hear me discuss in an upcoming podcast, drop me a line in the usual social media channels. Also check the show notes for important resources and links. If you liked it, then please hit that subscribe button. This helps make the show grow to reach more and get more people talking about machinery safety. So when machinery safety matters, remember the Machinery Safety Matters podcast. Until next time, bye for now.